Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. I'm talking about talking to your girlfriend, laying on the bed, talking to your girlfriend and telling her what you never told her. I'm talking about telling your husband the reason why you jump every time he touches you on the back of your ear. That's what I'm talking about. Because those things don't go away if you don't deal with it. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey, lady. It's Terry here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your impactful podcast and how you can generate multiple streams of income. You can visit podcastwithterry.com to register for free. I hope to see you there. Lady, today we have a very special guest. We have a heavy topic, but a very special guest that is going to gently walk us through this topic. Catherine Barner is a grief and trauma expert author, speaker, sexual abuse advocate, and psychotherapist. She's passionate about helping women who suffer in silence live in perfect peace. Catherine wants women to know that they don't have to live in the shadows of abuse. They don't have to remain silent about their trauma for fear of not being believed. She knows that healing is indeed possible and life can flourish. Catherine, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Terry and Dr. Dom, I'm excited to be with you guys. This is this is going to be good. Yes, it is. We are so excited that you're here. Yes. And we are looking forward to engaging in this important, important conversation. And so our quote of the day, I don't know who needs to hear this, but the adults were supposed to protect you. You weren't supposed to protect yourself. It's not a child's job to take care of themselves emotionally, physically, or otherwise. And this quote comes to us from Nedra Tawab. So, Catherine, when you hear this quote and think about like our topic for today, what comes up for you around this quote? Yeah, you know, it's so beautiful. I think what comes to me is, is just the idea of truth. 
and just how honest that is and the idea that we're not supposed to as children be the heavy, as I call it. The adults in the room are supposed to be the ones to take care of us, to nurture us, to protect us, to love us, all of those things. So the big, what I hear ringing in my ear as you read that is just the truth of that statement, the truth of that quote and how powerful it is. Catherine, can you talk a bit about your origin story and what prompted you to dive into this heavy world of grief and trauma healing? Because I know that people appreciate the work, but you have to have your own self-care practices, I'm sure, when you're diving into stuff like this. So what even prompted you to dive into this world? Yeah, you know, I think as with, with most things, most of the things that become our passion, it, it is my story on both sides of the fence, the grief as well as the trauma. With respect to the grief, you know, I've been doing mental health for over 25 years and I've done, you know, absolutely everything. You know, I like to say, you know, adults, children, prison, jail, dogs, cats, and everything in between. But the grief portion really came, I'd say probably my mother passed away in 2011. And obviously I had done grief work and worked with folks who were grieving and knew and had all of the head knowledge. So when my mother passed away, it hit me in a way that nothing on earth ever had. Because my, my mother and I were extremely close. My mother was literally my everything. And so when she passed away, I was like, okay, hold on, wait a minute. What what are we doing? And and how are we going to do this? And I got to this point where I was like, wait a minute. If If I know everything that I know about grief as the professional in the room, having done the work that I had done for so many years prior, and I'm struggling the way that I'm struggling, how in the world is everybody else doing this? And I came to the realization that they're not doing it. And, and if they are, they're not doing it the right way. And so that's really what prompted me to dig deeper into the grief space and really, really hone in on that as my specialty. Again, just born out of my own place of hurt and need to to heal. And then the same with the sexual with the trauma specific to sexual abuse and specific to African American women. That too is a part of my story as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And so again, I walked through all of the things that I say all of the things. I walked through most of the things that survivors go through, but the, the realization I came to on that side of the house was that I came out, and I say this, and it may sound interesting to some people, relatively unscathed. And what I mean by that is, obviously, I had many, many issues to deal with and all of the things that go with that, but I did not fall into a lot of those maladaptive behaviors that many survivors do just trying to live and cope and move forward. I didn't do that. And it's only by the grace of God. It, it has nothing to do with me, you know, being able to figure it out. And so again, I came to this point where I was like, I know that there are women who've gone through the same thing that I've gone through as children, who've gone through more, who've gone through less, who are struggling in a mighty, mighty way. And so again, the work that I do specific to trauma and women, you know, recovering from childhood sexual abuse as adults is really from that place of knowing that my my own journey and recognizing that they can come to a point of peace. They can find a place of healing. They can live what I call living beyond what happened. And, and I talk a lot about breaking the cycle of secret silence because that's really what it's about. And I know, Dr. Dom, I'm sure you, you know this as you practice 
it's just this idea of being quiet and the shame and all of the things then that that you carry throughout life and how that then manifests itself literally in, the, in every other relationship that you have. So that's that's really where the work came from, the the passion for the work, I'll put it that way, where it came from in those two areas w- with respect to grief and trauma. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for sharing, sharing that. And, you know, the question that I'm wondering as I was listening to you is something that you pointed out that I know that a lot of therapists encounter, right, is that we have the head knowledge, we have the books to tell us how to navigate certain things that we might not have personally experienced. And then when we experience it for ourselves, there's a shift, right? And so can you talk a little bit about that shift, right? Like what are some of the things that changed in your approach to working with clients who were experiencing grief after you had your own experience? That's a great question. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've always been able to do in working with clients is when I leave the room, and and again, Dr. Dom, you, you know this, when I leave the room, I'm able to close the door and I'm good. I can come home and I, I'm very good at, at closing that door. When the grief issue, and I've been able to do that for years, when the grief issue came up for me, I found myself in the room not being able to close the door anymore. And that's when I knew I had to do my work so that my emotional work, so that I can then continue doing my professional work. But a lot of it was really, again, it was that point of being in the room with a client, thinking that I was okay, because of course, you know, we're taught to move through and all of that. And sometimes we can be the worst patients as therapists. So I, I found myself not being present for my clients. And that ain't good because they didn't, they came to me with their stuff and I'm supposed to be walking with them. And when I, when I realize that I'm sitting in this space and I'm not present, Oh no, we, we got to do something about this. And so for me, that was really it. It was backing away and doing my own work at that point to heal. And so then what that also allowed me to do was to take a lot, a lot of the things I've been telling my clients to do, I'd never really had to do because I hadn't had that hurt. So it allowed me to do the things that I had really been talking to them and teaching them to do. And also allowed me to find some some new things that I could talk to my clients about to bring some other practices in, to bring some other techniques in to help them move through that space. So that that was really the shift for me when when I found myself not being present for my clients. Cause that's it, it's such a it's such a powerful position that we have in a lot of ways. And I mean, we're literally holding someone's life at times in our hands and they are coming to us with the deepest, darkest parts of them. And whenever we can't honor that in the way that we need to, to help them move, we have to step back and be, and be honest enough to step back and say, hold, wait a minute, let, let me deal with me so I can help you deal with you. I appreciate you sharing that. I have to say, as someone who partakes in therapy and who probably will for the rest of my life, it's been so useful to me at different stages. It's so sobering to hear mental health professionals talk about the things that you and Dr. Don talk about and to know that you all have your own therapist. I mean, that just, that does something to me. It's so special. And to know that you're still doing the work and, you know, the transparency and the the mindfulness and the the care that you have for the profession, I think that's amazing. And I do want to know, 
what would you say are some of the common misconceptions about survivors of child sexual abuse? Oh my, what a loaded question. There's so many. The first thing I would say is, is the, this idea of prevalence. I talk about prevalence and perpetrators. And when I talk about prevalence, the idea that people don't really understand the magnitude that childhood sexual abuse takes place. But statistics say that one in four girls and one in six boys have experienced childhood sexual abuse. When we talk about African-American women, the statistics say that 60 percent of black girls have experienced childhood sexual abuse before they're 18. So when you when you think about those numbers, but people really don't they don't see it that way. And I think one of the things is because we don't know how to deal with it as a society, as families, as a community. And so it's very easy then to just to push it aside and put on the blinders and say that it doesn't happen. The other myth that I think is is so important is this idea of of predators. Again, you know, we talk about stranger danger. Again, the statistics say that 90%, 90% of the cases that are reported, we're not even going to talk about what's not reported. 90% of the cases that are reported are someone who the child knows. These, these aren't people who are lurking behind a tree in the park. Yes, do those things happen? Yes, they do. But again, the, the stats say that 93% of children know their abuser. So we're talking about, unfortunately, we're talking about family members. We're talking about friends of families. We're talking about church members, unfortunately. So these are people that children know. So th those are two big misconceptions. Other ones that I talk about, th this idea that it is the child's fault, <laughs> which is a whole nother story in and of itself, that idea. And then again, that because it happened as a child, when we talk about adults, because it happened as a child, then there's no impact or effect now. If we're talking about, you know, a young woman who's in college or someone who's 30, 35, and she's married and she has two kids and she has, you know, the job and, you know, and the car and the house and all the things, well, then obviously she's fine. But again, we know that that's not true. There are so many things that fall out from childhood abuse, particularly when it hasn't been dealt with, when it hasn't been uprooted when it hasn't been spoken out into the universe. I always say shame is, is, a, is a horrible, horrible thing. But what I always talk about, particularly with survivors in, in getting their story out. And when I talk about story, I'm not talking about, you know, being on a stage and podcasts and all that. I'm talking about talking to your girlfriend, laying on the bed, talking to your girlfriend and telling her what you never told her. I'm talking about telling your husband the reason why you jump every time he touches you on the back of your ear. That's what I'm talking about, because those things don't go away if you don't deal with it. So, again, th those are the things. And of course, there, you know, when we talk about the prevalence of substance abuse, when we talk about the prevalence of PTSD, when we talk about those, the prevalence of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, all of those things that are carried through life because we haven't dealt with that pain from childhood. And it looks different on there's some commonalities, but it looks different on everyone. So, those are some of the myths that I think that I know are out there and some of the ones, quite frankly, that make me cringe the most and the ones that, that we really got to be honest and talk about. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how damaging they are. As you said them, just like putting my hands in my I'm like, this is just so damaging, you know, so I can totally understand that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And when you say, so 93% 
of the instances that are reported are from people that the child knows. And so how can we keep our children safe from predators? Especially yeah. if it's someone when we when we see that the stats say that it's more than likely almost a guarantee that it's someone the child knows. What do we do to keep our children safe? It's a great question. It's a difficult question, but I think it, it starts with we got to we got to get honest about the fact that this is happening. I think one of the things that that we struggle with just as, as society in general is believing that people that we know can do some really bad things, can do some really horrible things, that there can be this duality in people where they're a great guy or girl for that matter, and they have a great job and they're really nice and they have a wife and all these things. But there can also be that other side where they do some really, really horrible things. And that's hard for us to comprehend just in general as society and as people. So I think the first thing is we got to we have to, to recognize that it is happening. And that's why I like to throw those stats out and quote those stats, because the stats don't lie. The other thing I think that we have to do to protect our children is we got to listen to our children. We, we have to get to a point where. When children say, I don't want to go see Uncle Joe, that we don't just say, girl, get in that car and go see your uncle. Girl, go give your uncle a hug. Girl, because there may be something there. And we have to step back as adults and give our, our young people the room and the space to express when they are uncomfortable, when they're feeling some anxiety about being around someone. When now it may turn, it may turn out that Uncle Joe, you know, just likes to play jokes and scare the children when they come over. And if that's the case, fine. But we've got to do a little investigating to find that out. And so if that's the case, then that's that's as simple as a conversation with Uncle Joe. But it may be something a whole lot deeper. So we've got to listen to our children and we've and again, give them permission to, and this particularly in African-American community, because, you know, we we believe in do what I say. Don't ask me no questions. Mm-hmm. Go sit down over there. If I told you to do it, don't ask me why I told you to do it. All that good stuff. Right. But we really do have to find a balance in allowing children to express themselves, allowing them to ask questions, allowing them to have some some responsibility, some freedom, some autonomy, so that when they begin communicating these things to us, we don't just brush it off. Paying attention to behaviors. When behaviors change in children, there's a reason why. Children, they don't just do things out of the box for no reason. There's something going on behind it. So the biggest thing I think is asking questions, being aware, that, being honest enough to say that this is happening. And then the other thing is we got to start telling the truth about what happened to us because it doesn't happen in a vacuum. We got to be honest and start telling our own stories within our families to unearth some of this stuff so that children are aware so that family members are aware and so that we can then protect our family, our children in particular, the way that we need to. So the, those are some of the things that, that I think we have to start doing to protect our babies. That is so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing those. I do want to say, Catherine, as a survivor, I have a hyper 
sensitivity around the topic and had so much anxiety before I even had kids. I was talking about this in therapy years before I had kids because I knew that down the line, there were some creepy people that I'm like, I don't want my child to be in you know close proximity and whatnot. So as a, having a newborn daughter, and this would be the same for a son, one of the things that I've done is I'm mindful of who's around when I'm changing her diaper. Me and my husband are changing her diaper and who changes the diaper. We have a very short list of anyone that could possibly do that. My question for you is when it comes to, I know many of us, you have that, you know, creepy uncle, that creepy guy, or even women. We have to stop letting women get a pass because there are some women as well. What do you do if you're in a situation where you know in your family that this person has been a predator, they've done things in the past, maybe no one's talking about it, but you know that, mm -mm. like, what would you you advise someone to do in that situation? You got to call it out. You got to call it out for for what it is. You have to, if it's a situation, you know, where, where it's gone on in the past and as far as you know, you know, it stopped and there's nothing going on, but there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm not going to the barbecue. You know, I'm, I'm not going to Christmas because I'm not, particularly if people aren't willing to, to call it out for what it is, I'm not going to the barbecue. And if I go to the barbecue and I'll use, you know, Uncle Joe, since we're, we're using him today. And if Uncle Joe happens to show up, you know, either y'all ask him to leave or I'm going to ask him to leave. There has to be a zero tolerance that Uncle Joe doesn't get to go in the house when the kids are in the house playing or when the kids are in the house resting, if we know that this has happened. So again, it's about calling it out. Obviously, if we're talking about something that we know is happening currently, it's the same thing. We've got to call it out and we've got to call the authorities. We, We have to protect our children. And, you know, and it's so, I know that it's difficult for many people, particularly when you're talking about fathers and uncles. And again, as you say, we're not going to just talk about men, but aunties as well and mothers, because it's it's on both sides of the spectrum. And when you're talking about a situation where children are reporting to a parent that another parent has in some way abused them, that's a whole can of worms on so many levels that it's so extremely difficult to move through as as a family. But we have to keep in mind the the other thing that the vast majority of children who talk about children and women in general who report childhood abuse or rape, they're not lying. Again, the statistics say that they're not lying. So I, I think hopefully that answers your question. I, I think that's really how we have to handle that. I think that that's important that we do that. We I, I love what you said about the zero tolerance. Right. And I love, Terry, how you pointed out that we have to open the conversation to the pieces of abuse that we don't talk about. Right. So that that women are abusers as well. And in that regard, I think about young teenage boys who 13, 12, 14, 15, who end up having sex with a woman who's over 18, sometimes maybe even over 21. And the story, the narrative that they put out there is, oh, I'm a man, right? Like that, I got, I got that cougar. I got that older woman. When in reality, if you are 14 years old and that woman is over 18 that's abuse 
Yeah. And I think that's something that we, that we, that society can kind of normalize and keep young boys from acknowledging that that's actually abuse and that that's a problem that they had that experience. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think what you just said there, this issue that society, we, we have, we've got two, two completely different standards. You know, we want our young girls to be, you know, cute and pretty and, and chaste and all of these things. But, but our young boys, it's about, you know, collecting trophies and how many, and, you know, we talk about locker room talk and all of those kinds of things. We've got to start normalizing the same message that we give to our young women with respect to sex and sexuality and and abuse and all those things. We've got to be having the same conversations with our young men, the exact same conversation. But yeah, just this idea that, you know, when we normalize this idea of conquering and, you know, how many trophies do I have and how many notches do I have on my belt? These are the same young men who at some point are going to to be in relationships with young women. And so if we've taught them that, then how are they going to engage with their wife? How are they going to then engage with their daughter? And so I always talk about this duality of, you know, and I find it really interesting. Even when we have this idea of, you know, when young girls go go off to prom and, you know, the dad stand at the door with, you know, with the rifle or whatever, and people laugh about that. But my thought is, but there's a young man you know, you have a son. And so what if someone did that to your son? So all of these things that we normalize in our society, I think we, we've really got to get to a place of being honest about telling the same story across the board and being honest about the long-term effects that they have on young people as they get into relationships, as they go away to college and they're trying to navigate just all the natural things that happen, you know, in adolescence and young adulthood that, you know, make us all Looney Tunes sometimes. So when you layer all these other things on top of it, it makes it that much worse. Yeah, Catherine, question for you. What have you Mm -hmm. heard as it relates to the presence of alcohol or other substances when it comes to child abuse as far as from the abuser? You know, that's an interesting question. There are people who will use that sometimes and say, well, 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 he was just drunk, just drunk, you know, or he was drinking that sort of thing. I do believe that that there are instances, obviously, when when people are, you know, drunk or inebriated when when they will do things. But but in general, alcohol doesn't cause you to abuse children. It just doesn't. Exactly. So, yeah. And so now I know that sometimes alcohol and drug use can be a way to cope for someone who is a survivor of sexual abuse. And so what are some of the long-term mental health effects that a survivor might experience? And, and this is like a two-part question. Yeah. How do they heal from the experience? Yeah, great question. And you're absolutely right. You know, again, the numbers say that, you know, women and people in general, and I talk about a lot about women because that's how I work. But again, women and men are, they're four times more likely to suffer from substance abuse. They're four times more likely to be diagnosed with PTSD. They're five times more likely than, than the general population we're talking about to experience depression, anxiety, and those sorts of things. And so, because what it comes down to, again, is learning how to cope. And the reality is, is that alcohol and drugs, if I don't have to feel whatever I can do to not feel that pain, 
that's what I'm going to do. And if alcohol does it, hey, let's do it. And so you find that with a lot of individuals who've experienced abuse because it's it's a maladaptive way of coping, but it is a way of coping. It is going to stop the pain. It's going to stop the thoughts. It's going to stop the, the memories. It's going to stop the flashbacks, at least for a time. And then I can do what I need to do and then go on with my life. And when it comes back, I'm just going to drink again. And so to your question of, you know, how do they cope? It really does begin with finding a safe space to say, this is what happened to me. And a safe space, unfortunately, may not be family. A safe space, unfortunately, may not, may not be telling mom. A safe space, unfortunately, may not be telling dad or it, it may not be there. That is the sad reality. But there, there are so many programs out there. There are therapists. And when I talk about therapists and people looking for therapists, particularly when we talk about recovering from these types of things, you got to have a trauma-informed therapist. Going to therapy to heal from abuse, childhood sexual abuse, those sorts of things is very, very different than going to abuse and saying, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm having a little, you know, trouble sleeping because, you know, my kid just left and went away to college and I'm just, you know, I'm having some adjustment issues as we call them. That looks very different. And so you need a therapist who's going to understand trauma-informed care, who can walk you through that, who's going to be patient with you, who's going to know I call it not pushing too far too fast, who's going to be able to, because a lot of the work in the beginning when you're working with, with survivors in this way is really about giving them some tools so that when you get to the hard stuff, they don't jump out of their skin. It, it's about giving them resources. You know, it's about teaching them how to breathe. <laughs> it's about teaching them what to do when they, when their body starts to do whatever it does when, when that anxiety builds up. So it, it's super important that, that people engage with a therapist who really understands that work and understands what to do. And quite frankly, isn't afraid of it because it's, it can be ugly and it can be messy and it's hard and it's painful for people, but to say it is, ex it's necessary in order to get to the other side. And I do believe that, that people can live a life of peace and not have all of that trauma, you know, just weighing down on them. And I say that because, because I'm here, that that's the only reason, quite frankly, that I'm, I'm sane and sober, you know, and not on drugs and, you know, quite frankly, not doing or not in jail or not, you know, homeless, or all, all of the other things that fall out from that when you don't have those coping skills. That is so powerful. Thank you so much for that, Catherine. I do want to ask you, what would you say to someone who is listening right now who is a victim of child abuse and they maybe feel ashamed or guilty because their body may have responded to the abuse mm. in a way that they, they did not reflect the true feelings of the violation and they're really grappling with that. Harry, that's an excellent, excellent question. Here's what I would say. I'd say two things. One is understanding that trauma affects our body and our brains. Okay. And our bodies are built to, God built them to do what they do. And it's such a good question because a lot of individuals, again, I say when, but a lot of individuals do struggle with what their body may have done in that moment. 
And a lot of times, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I hesitate to say all, but the vast majority of the time, our bodies are simply responding to the way it was, it was built to respond. And in those moments, we're going to do one of two things. We're, you know, one of three, we hear about the fight, flight, the freeze. And, you know, either we're going to fight to get away, you know, we're, we're going to try to flee or we're going to freeze. And when we freeze, our brain is going to stop this whole idea of, you know, the limbic system. And I don't want to get into the, you know, the brain biology of it, but this, this whole thing that our body does when we find ourselves dealing with trauma. And so what I would say to them is take a step back and forgive yourself for what you had no control over. Your body, it's kind of like when you catch a cold and your nose keeps running, even though you want your nose to stop, it's running because you have a cold and it's it's just going to run until until that's over. (laughs) And so you can blow it, you can wipe it, but it's not your fault that your nose is running. You know, it's, you didn't do anything wrong to cause your nose to run. You have a cold. Okay. And maybe you have a cold because, you know, if you live in Texas, like me, it's cold one day and it's a thousand degrees the next. So there we go. So I use it as an example. And it's the same thing with our bodies, but I do know it can be so, it, it can be so, people can be so guilt-ridden and they can carry that shame. But one of the things I tell them with, with particularly with respect to shame is that the person who deserves the shame is the, is the perpetrator who abused you. You did nothing wrong. The shame belongs to that other individual. And I talk about a lot of times, you know, in terms of going, getting up in the morning and and going to get dressed. And so you walk in your closet and you put on your clothes and then you go across the hall and you put on your husband's jacket and then you go downstairs and then you put on your son's hat on top of that. So all day long, you have on everybody else's clothes and that stuff. And so ridding yourself of that guilt and that shame off everything that does not belong to you. And the guilt and the shame of the abuse is not yours to carry. It belongs to whomever, or if there were multiple whomevers, you give that back to them. Now, are there things that you have to work through? Certainly, but give them their stuff because it ain't yours. So that's what I talk about a a lot of times and letting go of that guilt and that shame. And it can be difficult. And again, because society we all, we blame the victim. We ask, well, what was she wearing? Or what was she doing? Or why was she drinking? Or well, why did she go over there? All of these whys. When the question is, well, I, because I just wanted to go see my friend at her house and I, we were playing hopscotch and I was 12 years old, if that's the story. So at 12 years old playing hopscotch, how is the, it my fault then that an adult then comes and takes advantage of me? So I hope that answers the question. And as you can tell, that that's one that I get real passionate about because it's the guilt and the shame that leads to all the other things that we're talking about, that leads to the, the drug abuse, that leads to the alcohol, that leads to all of those other behaviors that impact women's lives for decades on end. And they're not able to really thrive and live in a place of peace in their mind and in their hearts and in their bodies. That was so powerful. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for that. So the work that you do, not everybody can do it. (laughs) And as you mentioned before, not all therapists are trained to do this work, right? Right. Not all therapists are trained to be trauma-informed therapists. 
And so one of the things that I know from, from doing this work mm-hmm. is that your own self-care is super important, right? Yes. And so what do you do for your own self-care? Because I could imagine like as the work that you're doing, the way I like to look at it is like this analogy of a cup and your care is that like this cup. And as you give to other people, you're pouring from your cup. How, what do you do to pour into your cup so that your cup is constantly overflowing so that you can give? Listen, y'all, I pray a whole lot. <laughs> I listen to a whole lot of CC wine and I believe for me, my faith is, is really the cornerstone of it all. I could not do this without my faith, without God, without that. And, and I, as I've mentioned, I know that that is the only reason that I'm that I am in the space that I'm in with respect to the things that have happened to me. And I know that that's the only reason that I'm able to do the work. And so my faith is a huge part of it. My, like I said, I pray a whole lot, listen to a whole lot of CC wine and, and some other folks. But then, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with my husband. We're empty nesters. And so we don't really have to take care. We don't take care of nobody. So we just kind of, you know, do our own thing, come and go. I do have, you know, a wonderful, beautiful new granddaughter. So, you know, getting to see her hanging out with my girlfriends. I was just at brunch this morning. So those kinds of things, that's, those are the things that nurture me being with, with my family, being with my friends, hanging with my girlfriends. And then, you know, I'm, I love horses and I love jet skis and I love motorcycles and I love being by the water. So all of those things, I try to make sure that I'm doing consistently because you're right. It, it is difficult work. It's hard work when you're, you're hearing the things that you're hearing constantly from women and the pain that they're in. I mean, so you're right. You do have to have to be able to operate from a space that you can continue to pour out. But at the same time, you've got to be refilled. And for me, though, those are the things I do. Like I said, my my faith, you know, people say, you know, faith, family and all these things that make these, you know, alliterations. But it really is true for me. My faith, definitely my family. And I have some amazing girlfriends that, you know, that I hang out with. So. That sounds so beautiful. I caught the vibe as you talked about it. I'm like, oh, that sounds like you have such a great self-care practice in place. So good for you, Catherine. We appreciate you and the work that you do for sure. And what we want to do right now is just shift up the energy of the interview. We definitely dove into some heavy topics today, but we want to lighten the load and lighten the mood as we transition on to the close of the interview. And so Catherine, because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet. <laughs> and we believe that you can dance to strip club music and still be elegant. We want to invite you to the OU Clatchet segment. So do you take on the challenge, Catherine? I will take on the challenge. <laughs> so now that you've agreed, we're going to tell you what's about to go dance. See, I agree before I asked what was really involved. But that, okay, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so we're going to ask you three questions. We're going to share three sentence completions. And then we have three photos of you that are pulled up on the screen. And we're going to have you choose a number one through three. And you'll tell us more about the photo that we show you. Okay. And that's it. I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> really? Okay. Don't be nervous. It's so a, it's, don't it's be okay. nervous. I'm going to okay. pass it on over to Dr. Dom. Okay. So, 
What is the best piece of wisdom or advice that you've ever received? Oh, the best piece of wisdom or advice. You know what? I'm going to say my grandmother used to say, you know, all the time, keep a living, baby. Keep a living. And I had no idea what she was talking about. But now that I'm older, I understand what that meant. So, yeah, that's it. Just just keep a living and you will see, you know, what is to come. Yes. My grandmother <laughs> says the same thing. So, yes, I, I'm familiar with that one. Yes. I, and yes. I love it. <laughs> All right now, all right now, you know. <laughs> four, four, four words for you, Catherine. Okay, four or two steps. Two steps. <laughs> okay, all right, we got you. Two steps. Two steps. And Catherine, what's the sexiest item that you own? Oh my goodness. Oh. So the story behind this, my husband, as I said, he's amazing. And he, you know, he will buy me, you know, the star behind the left dipper, you know, around the side of the moon if I ask for it. But the That's one beautiful. thing that my husband will not buy for me are shoes because I just, just, they're too many. And it's simply because there's nowhere else to put them in the closet. However, he bought me one pair of heels and they, they're the ones that, that, you know, that you wear when you know that you want to thank him or you want to bless him for being the man that he is. So those heels, uh, when you want to bless him for being the man that he is. So I would say those heels. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't wear them often. They're, you know, they're for special occasions. I've got a special spot in the top of the closet. So we'll go, I'll go with those pumps. Yeah. They're about five inches. They're about five inches. Ooh, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to have to start using that one right there. We want to bless them. Well, you want to bless them. Just, you know, just just want to be the man that you are, baby. (laughs) So, Catherine, one question or topic I wish people asked me more often is... Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. One question or topic. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'll probably go back to what we said, you know, how to get over the trauma, how they ask it. And so maybe not that how to get over the trauma, but then how to do the work to get over the trauma. I'll put it that way, because ask the question how to get over it, but how to really do the work to to get over the trauma. I'll go with that. And then the next statement is the most embarrassing thing (laughs) I've ever done to get my husband's attention (laughs) is. Okay, this is one during the during the pandemic because you know we all had to had to shift how we took care of our our crowns, and I am I'm not a hair girl. I've never been one to, to really do my own hair, so you know in the pandemic it is what it is. Got to make stuff happen. So I I actually decided that I was going to you know do the natural thing for a while. I was going to do some wand curls. I put them in sat under the dryer and came out and I realized because I'd had my hair done for so long my husband had never really had never seen me in that state with wand curls in my head you know looking like Felicia from Friday and we laughed about it because you know I, I leave you know and I go to the salon and I come back and there's hair and it's realize it never happened so that would probably be the most embarrassing thing when I took the dryer off looking like Felicia's little sister and it yeah we still laugh about it 
That's a good one. That is a really good one. We like that. Thank you for sharing. I'm getting the visual as you share. Listen. And I last sentence, <laughs> the last completion for you is what I love most about myself is. That's a tough one, y'all, because I don't. Okay. What I love most about myself. You know what? I'm going to go with this. I'm going to throw y'all for a loop. My thighs. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go with that girl. one. Go ahead, I was, girl. I was gonna go. Leg. I was gonna go deep, but I was, you know, we're gonna go with the thighs on this one. Okay. Oh, That's very yes. passionate, of you, Catherine. We love that. <laughs> and so now, Catherine, we want you to choose a number one to three, and we'll show you that picture on screen so you can give us more context that we can't see from just viewing the picture. So one through three. I'll go with two. Y'all are a mess. So tell us. So this is, this is my baby boy. He's not obviously not a baby anymore. He's 22. This is our youngest son. He, oh my gosh, I think it's 2017. So yeah, so he was still a senior in high school at this point. He was actually working at the movie theater. He had, either had the day off taken off I don't know which so he took me to the movie so we were hanging out that day yeah and I at the time I obviously always have tons of work to do so you see the caption there I had a ton of work to do he said you know we were gonna hang out he was taking his mommy to the movie so that's what that was yeah that is so sweet and just for just for last I have to show you number three <laughs> what you got these are the curls these are the yes. curls I think you may have been talking about and I was like oh that's so funny that you told that see, story because you got the visual that's the oh, visual. Yes. That's when it's that's when it's done. When yeah. Mm-hmm. That's when it's done. You can see with the with the roll. <laughs> Catherine, you are such a gem. We just want to thank you so much for your yeah. time, your energy, your expertise, what you do for the world and how you show up. Yeah. I just want to emphasize like this was a difficult conversation to have, but it's so necessary. And yeah. we just really appreciate the fact that we have someone like you in the world doing this work for yeah. for survivors and folks that are trying to heal. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you both so much. This is, I agree with you. It's a heavy topic, but this has been fun. You guys have certainly made it enjoyable. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you all are doing again. And so anything that I can ever do to help the two of you in any way, feel free to reach out at any time. And Dr. Dom, we'll have to, we'll have to check on the family tree because we might, I'll claim you as my cousin anyway, even if we find out we're not. Yes. We're going to go ahead ahead and claim it. We're going to just say we cousins anyway. So yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's your cousin. That's your cousin. That's that's my cousin. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so cousin Catherine. Yes, ma'am. Thank you again for being on the show. Where can people find you on social media? And also for our listeners, where are you licensed so that folks who are looking to start their therapy journey, how can they get in contact with you? Excellent question. So I can be found on all social media uh, at Mrs. Cat Speaks. So M-R-S-K-A-T Speaks on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Don't do a whole lot on Twitter. Obviously, my website is katherinebarner.org. I am licensed in the state of Texas. So any professional counseling that I do, obviously that's here in, in Texas, but I also do some coaching, doing some courses, those sorts of things with our 
Sister Speak Up Academy that we're going to be opening pretty soon. We're going to be doing Living Beyond Loss Academy that's going to start in January. Starting in October, we're going to be having our Managing Grief During the Holidays course. That's just going to be a one-day course to help people move through the holidays, kind of prepare them for November and December. And then we'll roll into the Longer Academy in January. So also, you can find me on Clubhouse, just Catherine Barner. So yeah, I would love to connect with anyone that has questions anyone that would love to work with me, I'd be more than happy to do that. I, you know, I, I always say I, I absolutely love this work. As I say, it, it is hard. Uh, it is difficult, but, but it is so necessary, but I, and I absolutely love it. So again, thank you guys so much. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note, that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Greatness is my birthright, so I no longer ask for permission.